Welcome to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. Join us in person for worship each Sunday at 9.30 a.m. For more information about Covenant, including discipleship and mission opportunities, visit us at www.covenantpresjackson.org. Jesus died. Jesus rose again, and before he ascended into heaven, before he was seated at the right hand of the Father, Jesus gave his disciples a mission. He gave his church a mission, his followers a mission. He gave you a mission, and that mission is this. Make disciples. Make more followers of Jesus. Well, to follow Jesus, you have to know him. You have to know who he is. You have to know what he has done. And and you have to know what that means for you. Therefore, the church has to tell about Jesus. You have to tell about your Savior, your Lord, so that others might know him, so that others might receive him and follow him. That is evangelism. Now, most of you were with me. Most of you were tracking with me until I threw that one word out there, evangelism. It can be an intimidating word. It can be a word that that can make you shift uncomfortably in your seat. A word that can too easily be dismissed. Well, that's just not my gift. That's just not my calling. I I don't know the Bible that well. I'm not sure that I could answer questions that someone might have or objections that someone might have. Besides, there are others who are better able to do that than me. Well, maybe that's true. But this is also true. You can tell someone what you know. You can tell someone what you believe. You can tell someone what you have experienced, that Jesus has given you forgiveness, that Jesus has given you life, that you are a child of the Father, that you have peace, that you have hope, that you've been transformed, that you love because you have been loved. And you can tell it in your own way. You can tell it with your own words. You can tell it with your own story. That's evangelism. And you can do that. You can do that without having all the answers. You can do that without having a seminary degree. You can do that without having half of the Bible memorized. So the question is really this. How do you overcome your fears? How do you overcome your fears? in telling someone about Jesus, in telling someone about your faith. Well, in this short passage in Colossians, Paul, who wrote this letter, offers some guidance. And this is what he says. First of all, he says, pray. Pray. Listen to verse two again. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. 
Paul is saying, as a follower of Jesus, be devoted in prayer, be engaged in prayer, persist in prayer. He puts it like this in another letter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. Paul says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Now, this doesn't mean that you must be verbally engaged in prayer at all times, that you must be head bowed, eyes closed in prayer at all times. What Paul's referring to here is a frame of mind. It's a state of being where you pray when you wake up. You pray while you're brushing your teeth. You pray in the shower. You pray before you eat. You pray while you work, while you're driving, while you're doing laundry, where you commune with God, communicate with God in your mind and your spirit throughout the day. But it also includes time when you do close your eyes and bow your head. It includes time when you do speak your prayer. It includes time when you pray with God's people Like today, when we gather for worship and pray together, praising and confessing and interceding, praying the Psalms, praying the Lord's Prayer, Paul says pray. Pray steadfastly. Pray while being watchful. And here he's alluding to the promised return of Jesus, that Jesus will one day come again in glory, in judgment, and make all things right. So Paul's saying pray, knowing that he's coming back. And pray with thanksgiving. Pray with a thankful heart for what the Father has done for you in Jesus Christ. And then Paul says, pray for him. Paul is writing this letter while in prison. He's probably in prison in Rome. He's in chains because of the gospel. And here is what he asks prayer for in verse three, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. So Paul says, pray for him that God would open a door. In other words, that God would give them opportunity, that God would make a way, not for him, but for the word. And Paul means the word of God, the scriptures that declare the mystery of Christ, the mystery that God would become a man without ceasing to be God, that that his suffering would bring healing, that his death would bring life. Now, in this statement, in this request for prayer, Paul shows a couple of important principles about evangelism. First of all, Paul recognizes that God must prepare the way for the message. God must prepare the way for the word. God has to open doors for the gospel. He recognizes that he couldn't do it, which also means you can't do it. God has to make opportunities available, put the right person in the right place at the right time. Not only that, but God has to prepare the heart. He has to have it open and ready to hear the word, to hear the gospel, to receive it, to respond in faith. Paul recognizes that he couldn't do that. And you can't do that. God has to open doors to the heart. 
And not, not only did Paul know this, but he witnessed this time and time and time again on his missionary journeys where he traveled hundreds and hundreds of miles preaching Jesus Christ, making disciples, planting churches. And read, read again in the book of Acts about Paul's missionary journeys, and you'll see it is always God who opened doors for the word. It's always God who prepared the way, God who made opportunities available. So for example, in Acts chapter 16, Paul saw a vision of a man urging him to come to Macedonia. Now listen, listen to Acts 16, verse 10. And when Paul had seen this vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. God opened a door. And in this case, he directly informed Paul about it through a vision. But God also opened doors to the heart. God prepared hearts to receive the gospel. In many cities, Paul preached the gospel to a gathering of people in a synagogue, sometimes outdoors, and some in that crowd would believe. Some would hear and place their faith in Jesus. Some would become followers of Jesus, and others in the same crowd would want to kill him, stone him. This happened in the city of Iconium. So how, how do you account for this? You have one group of people, you have the same message, you have the same messenger, but only some believed. Well, God had prepared the way for the word. God had opened the doors of the heart by his spirit, by the Holy Spirit. And those whose hearts God opened responded in faith. Do you see what this means for evangelism? It means this. It's not all on you. It's not all on you. You don't bring to faith. You don't change the will. You don't transform the heart. You don't save from hell. God does. Jesus Christ saves. The Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, transforms the heart and changes the will. So pray. Here we are, back to prayer where Paul started. So pray. Pray that the Father would help you see. Pray that the Father would open your eyes to open doors, to opportunities, and that you would enter and tell about the Savior knowing that God is already present, knowing that God is already at work. Paul says, pray that God would open a door for the word. Pray that, pray that for our missionaries. Pray that for our local missions. Pray that for our church. Pray that for us, trusting that God is in control. God will make it happen. So if God opens doors, do we just pray and wait? Yes and no. We have to wait. But there's more than that. Paul continues telling us what else to do in verse 5. Listen to that verse again. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. 
Well, here Paul talks about how you're to be toward outsiders. And by outsiders, he means those who are outside the Christian community, those who do not follow Jesus, those who, who do not have faith in him. First of all, Paul says, conduct yourselves wisely. Now, literally, this phrase is walk in wisdom. Paul's saying walk in wisdom toward outsiders. This means live your life, conduct your life governed by wisdom so that those outside of the church, outside the community of faith, will see that you conduct your life with wisdom. Now, wisdom in the Bible is a broad concept. The book of Proverbs tells us that wisdom comes from God. Wisdom is a gift from God. Our Old Testament reading this morning was from Proverbs chapter 2, and Proverbs chapter 2 states this. If you seek it, wisdom, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So it's an interesting passage. Proverbs says, seek wisdom. Seek it, desire it, seek it like treasure, seek it like gold, seek it like silver. But it also says, ultimately, God gifts it to you. Seek it, but know that God gifts it. And the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Now, not fear as in scared, but fear as in reverence, fear as in awe. And in that wisdom, conduct your life. In that wisdom, live your life. The Proverbs 2 goes on to say that walking in wisdom will deliver, if you walk in wisdom, it will deliver you from bad company. Because through wisdom, you recognize crooked ways and crooked deeds, and you want no part of it. The Proverbs chapter 2 goes on to say that walking in wisdom can deliver you from sexual sin. Through wisdom, you recognize the folly and the emptiness of forbidden pleasure. So walking in wisdom is living an upright life. It's living a life in reverence and awe of God. It's living a life giving Him glory. It's a life following Jesus. It's a life bearing fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. It's a life bearing the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and self-control, of living that in your life. Paul says, live like this before outsiders. And, and by doing so, those around you, those who know you, those who observe you, those who don't know you, may ask, how? Why? How can you maintain such self-control with all that is going on around you? How do you have such peace? You look to me like someone who has peace. How do you have it? Why do you love them? Why are you serving them? Why are you so joyful? And you can tell them of your Savior. You can tell them of your Lord. So you see, a door may be open simply through how you live your life. Walking in wisdom. And also how you speak. 
And listen, listen to verse six again. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. But Paul says, as a follower of, of Jesus, your words are to be gracious, polite, cordial, hospitable, not rude, not crude, not insulting, not off-putting, gracious, Paul says, and salty. Or, or as Paul puts it, season with salt, which simply means winsome. It's a metaphor. Simply means winsome, engaging, appealing, so that even your manner of speech might be a witness to the salvation that you have, the hope that you have, so that even your manner of speech might be a witness to your Savior. And this, your manner of speech to outsiders, gracious and salty, will absolutely set you apart in this society. In our society, language primarily functions as information or as a means of manipulation. Where sarcasm is so overused, it seems to become the constant tone. Where obscenities and expletives are common speech. Graciousness is absolutely countercultural. Genuine winsomeness is unheard of. Again, your way of life, your manner of speech may be used by God to open a door. A door for the word. And Paul, Paul ends our passage with this. So that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now this, this simply means that when God opens a door for the word, that you're willing to be used by him to deliver that word. In, in other words, God may use you to bring his message of life to someone who desperately needs it which means you need to know the word. You need to know the gospel. Not, and again, not like a biblical scholar, not like a, th- a theology teacher, but know it because this is the good news that saved you. Another, another book, 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 states it like this always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. You don't don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have an irrefutable argument for every objection or question. You You don't have to be a seminary graduate. You don't have to have half the Bible memorized, but you need to know why you have hope. You need to know the reason for your hope so that you can tell others. That's evangelism. So pray. Pray that God might open a door for the word, for the church, for you. Pray that we would see it, that you would see it and enter. Pray and walk in wisdom with gracious and salty speech for his glory, for his kingdom, living out the mission that he calls you to. Thanks be to God. Thank you for tuning in to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. 